0: Hello and welcome to Teen Educate, a light-hearted, discussion-based podcast made with teachers, for teachers. So grab a cuppa, sit back and relax as we delve into a new slice of education chit-chat with every show. In this episode, we talk to the fabulous Emma Turner about all things early career teaching. If September marks the start of your teaching career, or if you're feeling anxious about starting your NQT year after a rather odd training year, or even if you've just completed your NQT year and you're preparing for your return to school, we hope this episode will help answer some of your questions and help you feel prepared, reassured and excited for what lies ahead. I hope you like it. Hi! Hi Emma, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I'm just excited that I'm not, I'm not having to watch High School Musical for the 47th time over long
0: time. <laughs> I, I am a massive High School Musical fan. I was until my children made me OD on it and if I hear sorry oh it's brilliant though so today we are going to be talking about all things trainee NQT and RQT but first of all let's find out a little bit more about you and why you joined the profession so why did you decide to become a teacher and what was your key motivation
1: this is going to sound really bad I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, started, I started off doing my training. I didn't, I didn't like it. So I switched. I went from one end of the country to the other, went from near London all the way up to Liverpool, and I started to train as a science teacher. So I did a really weird course, which was 8 to 14, science teaching. But I'd always done loads of stuff, like play schemes and sports coaching and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, I knew I enjoyed teaching. But it was kind of a very early career switch, as in the first year of university. But then as soon as I started on the teacher training course, I absolutely fell in love with it and thought, yes, this is my thing. This is absolutely what I want to do. And I've never looked back, really. I can't imagine ever doing anything other than working in education. It is absolutely the best job in the world. What has been your proudest moment so far and why? I was really proud when I was in the co-headship with my fabulous former colleague and one of my best real-life friends, Claire Was Mitchell now Moran. And the school had been through a really rocky period. They had lots of changes in the senior leadership team. It had been in special measures before uh, Claire and I joined and we kind of joined on the back end of their journey out of special measures. And then when we became the heads, we'd obviously kind of smashed the stereotype because we'd set up the co-headship back in 2009. um, And we were doing, we didn't think we'd do anything different, but we now realise we were. And when we got that first good, because initially they wanted to keep us in a category... And we knew that wasn't what the children deserved, what the staff deserved, what the community deserved, because everybody worked so hard. And that moment when they finally said, this is a good school, it was just it was nothing to do with, how, you know, how clear I felt. We were just so proud that the school and the community and the children and the staff had got that recognition for everything everything they put in. So I think on a kind of a a larger scale, that one, but there are so many moments in the actual classroom teaching where you have those proud moments. I wrote about a chapter in Sarah Mullins' book, What They Didn't Teach Me on my PGCE. So if you want to see what my personal proudest moment was with the child, you can go and read that.
0: What has been the most valuable lesson that you've learned as a teacher?
1: You can't be perfect. All of the time, and you are never gonna crack this job. <laughs> and as soon as you recognise that you'll never stop learning, and you'll always get better, and nothing will ever be perfect, it's more of an adventure because you just think, right, what am I gonna learn today? And I quote my colleague Phil Page all the time with this fantastic quote of, you "Win some, you learn some. So some you win, some you're gonna learn something from." But the biggest kind of learning thing for me is you're never gonna crack it. You'll get better and you'll get quicker and you'll get faster and you'll get more efficient. But every time you get a new class, new kid, you're dealing with people. Everybody's unique. Everybody's different. So you you just got to kind of enjoy the process rather than thinking, I need to get to the summit.
0: So if we just have a bit of background before we get started. So you're a trained primary specialist. Mm-hmm. And during your career, you've worked your way up the leadership ladder to headship, and now you're the research and CPD lead for a multi-academy trust in the East Midlands. Mm-hmm. You have a very impressive set of strings to your bow, and one of which is founder of New Ed, Joyful CPD for Early Career Teachers. Supporting early career teachers is our focus for today and the main reason that I wanted to present an episode dedicated to them is because the last few months have been an incredibly strange time for experienced teachers. I can't imagine how teachers (laughs) who are new to the profession must be feeling. We've got quite a few questions to get through most of which have come from early career teachers but one from me to start off with. What do you think have been the benefits and drawbacks of being a trainee or an NQT this academic year and based on the drawbacks how can they best prepare for
1: September? I think the benefits are that we're all in it together. And that's not just my other high school music. <laughs> <laughs> getting the in the straight away. But actually, you can see how agile and nimble the teaching profession can be and how it is all about learning. And it's kind of leveled the playing field a lot because even experienced teachers have never had to teach in this way before. So everybody's kind of on the same footing with that, with trying to sort out remote learning, working from home setting up bubbles, this, that and the other. So I think it's, a, it's been a great opportunity to see how the teaching profession can be responsive, and adaptable and, and nimble. The drawback is obviously that you're not gaining that case and strategic knowledge. There's only been a chance to develop your propositional uh, professional knowledge and kind of the theory and the subject knowledge, which obviously are incredibly important. But there's not been those opportunities to enact that and all the evaluation and reflection that goes alongside those. So I know in our programme for early career teachers, we've we've completely rewritten what our NQT's uh, support is going to look like from September. I just I kind of want to say it's all going to be OK. I just know that the, the teaching has weathered so many storms um, in recent years, whether that be huge assessment or curriculum changes or statutory changes to... manner of things and it's all kind of been all right because teachers are incredibly adaptable incredibly resilient massively intelligent and totally devoted to doing the right thing not just by the children and the communities they serve but by others in the profession especially early career teachers and i wish early career teachers could hear the conversations that are going on amongst their mentors and the people who are planning the provision because i would really like to reassure them it's all in hand and it's all going to be okay
0: so what should be the priorities for trainees, NQTs and RQTs in September? And linked to that, Mr Hobbis from Twitter has asked, what would be your one golden nugget of advice for a trainee moving to NQT to
1: ensure a smooth transition? I say it, anytime anybody asks me what my top tip is. It's about your diary. Got to be about your diary because that stops you spinning off like Mario Kart. Um, it gives you more of an overview of the track. know where you're going so whoever's in charge of the central diary in your school it might be your mentor it might be the head might be business manager might be office manager you sit down with them you take your diary and you plan out everything that's happening over the academic year school photographer sports days statutory assessment days days when parents are coming in days when you've got visitors, when the hall will be out of use, you do all of that, you plan the whole thing in so that you've not spent all PPA time planning the most amazing drama lessons to be in the hall and you go in the hall and the photographer's there and then you're on the back foot. Also, it gives you that overview of the year so you can see where those pinch points, where those really busy points are going to come in the year because an NQT has never taught a full class for a full year. Every day is your first day as an NQT. Until you've done that full academic year, because you haven't got the idea yet of the rhythm of the year so one of the things to kind of preempt what the rhythm of the year might be is your diary once you've put all your diary dates in in one color for school you then go back in and you get a different color and you do everything that you're going to do for yourself go and see your sister go on a hen night go and visit somebody or whatever it is that you find restorative for yourself and if you can plan them around either side of those really busy pinch points you will feel a hell of a lot better. I had an NQT a couple of years ago whose mum had had to confiscate her laptop because she was going to take it on her sister's hen weekend. No, absolutely not. Your mother is right to confiscate your laptop. You have to bring your whole self to the job. and Your whole self is a well-rested, restored, happy teacher. And to do that, you need to do the things and be with the people who make you feel good and make you feel successful and who know you for you. Um, and there's so many people who don't have that year to view on a page. The biggest thing you can do to help yourself. That's my tip. Your priorities are always behaviour management, teaching and learning. So build those relationships with your class straight away. You can't teach unless you've got good relationships with your class. I'm not talking about being everybody's best friend, but actually building that professional knowledge of your children so finding out what they're about um, so talking to their previous teachers talking to their families talking to them building up that picture of, of who they are and then you can develop that meaningful professional relationship between teacher and student and then the teaching and learning will flow much better so invest that time in building positive relationships with the children And then your teaching and learning should proceed slightly better and also get to grips with what your school's behaviour management policy or procedure is and make sure that you let that do the heavy lifting. I got told in my uh, NQT practice, I relied too much on force of personality. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? They're like, you need to get the structures in school to do the heavy lifting for you. So get to grips with behaviour management and seek help early with behavior management if it's if you're struggling with it or if you're not sure or you've got really challenging children so nail behavior management build really meaningful positive relationships which will kind of oil the wheels of teaching and learning and sort your diary out i love the diary
0: tip and i love that you know all of us teachers love our stationery so the fact that it's got different colors in go crazy with your highlighters brilliant with potentially limited time and a different approach to getting classrooms ready for September what advice would you give to NQTs in particular about preparing their learning environment?
1: Oh learning environments, this is something which really divides any room of people. What are you getting it ready for? If you're getting it ready for learning then you don't want it to be full of distractions. You want it to be engaging and inviting but you don't want it to distract from the learning and i've seen so many people spend weeks and so much money creating you know a, a reenactment of hogwarts in the corner or a spitfire or whatever now that's fine if that's your whole school approach that you're doing this kind of immersive environment but actually in terms of your teaching and learning you're going to get the kids coming in for kind of two minutes going wow that's amazing and then it's wallpaper so unless you actually plan to use it You've got to think about how much time you're investing in creating that, and then how much teaching and learning will happen as a result of it. Learning environments to be really effective need to be organised, they need to be accessible, they need to be neat, um, so that people can find things, and that you're showing that you're valuing the work that goes on in there. I talk about this on my Q T induction evening. Things like put all your tables out, then put then put your chairs underneath them because a room can look great with 30 tables and then you put the chairs and you think i've got no space and then once you've done that go and sit in every single chair in that room and have a look at what the view looks like from that chair can you actually see the board is it too hot are you too near the radiator is it got drawers behind it that people are constantly trying to open when you organize your room you then have to put yourself into the position of of the learner and think is this a useful Setup. And also recognise that you will change your classroom setup, up, especially in primary, at least four times by the end of the year. And most people will end up organising it exactly how they inherited it, because that'll be the way that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> but the structure of the room, primary classrooms are notoriously awkwardly shaped. So yeah, set it up with a focus on teaching and learning rather than on creating some kind of amazing themed area. That can come and build that with the children if that's what you want to do. But recreating Hogwarts in the corner doesn't make your learning across the curriculum any better necessarily.
0: I think that will take a lot of pressure off people that are worrying about their setting. So that's that's good. What advice would you offer to teachers starting a school that they perhaps haven't visited or that they have visited but haven't seen it fully functioning and with pupils because interviews were conducted remotely?
1: Find out as much as you can. So talk to existing staff if you can ask for if you've got any virtual tours of the school to look at, talk to anybody that you know who might have, parents, might have children at the school, to just go on a real kind of information gathering session. The more you know, the better. And if you can't get into school at all before the first day, don't panic. The biggest, the greatest resource in any room is the teacher. So as long as you're there, it'll be fine. Everything else can wait. And recognise as well that people's expectations won't be the same. You do the best with what's in front of you on that day. So find out as much as you can, talk to colleagues and then use your NQT time wisely once you're in school. Use it to get a feel for how the school functions. Go and observe other teachers, go and watch other examples of practice or really focus in on what you need to find out. And your NQT time is an absolutely golden opportunity to do that. Especially if you're new to the school and you haven't visited it or you don't know staff or you don't know the way that people work. So go and watch the school's policies in action as soon as you can.
0: When I was completing my NQT year, I felt like I had to get involved with everything. I worked stupid hours, wore myself out and with a poor work-life balance, amongst other things, I ended up being really unhappy and actually left the profession after six months. Um, The positive end to my story is I obviously saw the light and I came back but with with workload likely to be one of the key concerns as you've already mentioned for early career teachers what advice would you offer alongside the calendar to help them develop and maintain a good work-life balance particularly after the balance is likely to have been improved during lockdown so how can they successfully juggle all of the elements of teaching but still feel like they're on top of things and what should they do if they can't
1: cope teaching's a long old career that's the first thing I would say You can only be the best version of yourself. Don't compare yourself to anybody else and don't try to be anybody else because that is exhausting. The other thing is to be really clear about what your focus areas are. So don't try and spin 20 plates all at once and think, I've got to be good at this and this and this and this and this and this. You're just going to end up dropping a plate and smashing it. So decide what you really want to focus on. Talk to your mentor, talk to your induction tutor, and say, right, let's really hone this then you can feel like you're really improving in that area and making a difference rather than doing 20 things with kind of a light touch and feeling like you're not getting to grips with with any one of them. The other thing I would say is don't beat yourself up if you can't do what everybody else has got the opportunity to do as well. Recognise what you are able to offer in your current circumstances. You might be caring for a partner, caring for an elder relative, you might have very young children, you might have a massively long commute. So just do what you can do and build in that time when you say, do you know what, I do not work on Sundays or I leave work on a Wednesday and a Thursday at quarter to four because I like to go and spend some time with my children or go to the gym or whatever it is. You're really strict with yourself and say, this is what I can achieve in this time and this is what I can't achieve or I need to move forward and have those conversations early with your mentor and your induction tutor, about your to-don't list. Everyone talks about to-do list, but when you hear things in staff meetings or you you hear, you think, oh, I need to be doing that, I need to be doing that, I need to be doing that. Actually ask, do I need to do this? Because that might be something you can go on your to-do list. I don't actually need to do that. And if you've got a massive to-do list and you're thinking, this is really getting on top of me, sit down with your mentor and your induction tutor and go through and say, which of these do I really have to do? Which can wait? it can be very difficult in the early part of your career to be able to sift those messages and think, actually, this is the priority. When you've not been through that full academic year yet, so have the conversation about what really is important and what can be shunted onto the to don't list. And just do what you can, when you can, remembering that the greatest resource the children have is you. If You burn yourself out, you're not doing anybody any favour.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. I love the to-do and to-don't list. Scott, who is a secondary maths NQT, has been thinking about the increase in hours on his timetable when he goes back in September, and has asked if you have any tips on managing time or being more efficient, given that he's not going to be an NQT, so he's going to have less free lessons.
1: You will be surprised at how much easier your second year is than your first. And because our NQT course that we've run is a two-year course, I love seeing my NQTs come back on that second year. They are just brimming with confidence. And they're like, oh, my God, it's so much easier this year because you're not in that cycle of first day. again. You know what's coming. It's like you've been briefed. You, you've lived it. You've, got, you know, you've done that NQT year. And they also, you've got a greater understanding of what works. And what doesn't work because you've come, you've got a year's worth of reflection and evaluation of your teaching. You've taught every topic that you've probably got to teach, and then unless you've moved year groups, you've actually got an idea of what's coming. You've taught that before, so everything actually takes less time in your second year. You become much more efficient at what you're doing, whether that be planning, marking, feedback, evaluation, parents' evening preparation. You've done it all, so you'll be he'll be very surprised how easy a lot of it seems second time around.
0: Behaviour is another area that new teachers can find difficult. The line, don't smile before Christmas, is one that we still seem to hear when you start a new school sometimes. It's not one that I agree with because of the relationships that you need to build, but what would your advice be for new teachers in terms of behaviour management? How can they quickly get to grips with effectively using their school's behaviour policy? And how can new teachers establish clear routines and expectations
1: with new pupils whilst building those strong relationships? know your policy inside out and back to front and observe other teachers who have great behavior management in the school as soon as you can see what they do and ask them before you start you know what what do you do in terms of giving out books that works what do you do in terms of lining up that works just ask for help and don't be tempted to rush on with your curriculum because you think that the low-level behaviour is all right actually you need to nail it from day one it's not about not smiling till Christmas it's about being really consistent not being afraid to use whatever system that you have in school and ask for help early because once you've got a fractured relationship with a class or an individual or a lack of trust there it's very difficult to draw it back
0: A question that is relevant for all teachers from Miss L Maths. What will be the best way to identify individuals' pupils' starting points in September when pupils will have had varying levels of success and engagement with home learning? In particular, she is concerned that this will add lots of time to planning and resource making. So are there any quick and time-saving ways to effectively differentiate for the likely wider varying needs and can effective questioning play a part in this?
1: It's all about questioning. It's not about testing. It's about making sure that you understand what the key parts of the curriculum are for your subject and then focusing your attention on those. Structuring your questioning, your assessments around the absolute key parts of your curriculum. They're the kind of the foundation blocks of your curriculum. If they're struggling with those ones, that's where you target your interventions or your catch-ups. Children are immensely quick to catch up. The skill is about identifying which steps they need to take. It's about looking at your curriculum, stripping it back and thinking, actually, that bit will be great. We can add that back in again, but actually we need to focus on this. So it's not so much about finding out in the very first instance what the children can do. It's about identifying in your curriculum what they need to have.
0: Moving from NQT to RQT can be quite daunting, but this year's NQTs is obviously doing so with only six months experience in the classroom. A few NQ- NQTs I know would have preferred for their NQT to continue until Christmas. And one of the reasons for this is the mentor support they would have received. What advice would you offer RQTs in terms of seeking support, and what support could schools look to implement in terms of mentoring and/or coaching? If
1: RQTs are in an early rollout area for the early career programme, then they should be getting some support this year anyway. As I mentioned earlier, most schools are really acutely aware of the reduced time NQTs have had invested in them. A really decent school, decent trust, decent local authority will be putting stuff in place already to support those teachers. The other thing I'd say is your your mentor or your induction tutor doesn't necessarily need to be somebody in school. It can be somebody that you've identified through networks that you work within. It can be a coach that you've accessed through something like WomenEd or uh, or some of the other free national coaching programmes. It doesn't necessarily have to be that day-to-day person in your school. If you can find somebody, great. But also, I always kind of like to align myself with a little bit of stardust on purpose. As in, I was always looking for the teacher in the school who I thought was absolutely brilliant and then just kind of hang out with them and talk to them about how they do it and what they do it so build your own informal teaching and learning conversation kind of networks if you're not going to be given an actual mentor an actual induction tutor in your rqt year forge that and don't be afraid to look more widely than your own school especially if you're working in a specialist part of the sector or you've got a funny setup like you've got a year four or five class and nobody else in school has got a year four or five class build those networks outside of your own school as well
0: Pastoral support is obviously another key role for teachers and most new teachers will either be linked to or responsible for a tutor group. What tips would you offer for being a successful tutor and how can tutors support pupils with their mental health and academic struggles after such a prolonged period away
1: from the classroom? This is a weird one because obviously I'm primary we don't have tutor groups but what we do have is class all the time. And it's again about knowing those children and structuring those conversations to be able to find out what their experiences were and what their current thinking is around what their needs are, what experiences are, and potentially investing a lot more time into the planning and reflection of those sessions as well. I know a lot of primary schools have included a lot more things around mindfulness and well-being and opportunities for discussion about feelings and emotions. They've woven that throughout the primary school day and I know that that's been replicated in a lot of secondary schools as in the original schedule of what you might have done has been adapted because it's recognised that every child has been through this complete unique experience that no other school children have ever been through before so actually we need to recognize those children who've had a bit of a rough time during lockdown but also given the opportunity to celebrate what children have learned and have enjoyed about that period as well but again it's not jumping to that conclusion that actually all the children immediately will have had an awful time these children who have been through lockdown don't necessarily know they've got nothing to compare it to so yes, by all means, structure your choose time or your form time in, in primary school circle time or class time with a focus on it uh, and be vigilant, but don't necessarily automatically assume that all children will have had a terrible time. There is actually a lot of good that will have come out of this that can be celebrated in those sessions as well.
0: Yeah, I saw a teacher tweeted a few weeks ago because their year 10 child had been into school and apparently they'd gone home and been like, mum, it, it's like they expect us all to be mentally scarred from lockdown. Yeah. But they are resilient, and some of them yeah. are going to have loved it. There will be ones that are tricky, but I think they've adapted to this. When they get back to school, that's more what they're used to, so they're going to adapt back to that as well, and we yeah. can, as you say, be vigilant and provide support as and where needed. With a good few weeks before schools start again, what can trainees and new teachers do to prepare themselves for September? Do you have any recommended reads, webinars, etc., that they can look into?
1: Oh, how long have you got? Yeah, <laughs> if you... Uh, a teacher, a beginning teacher, initial teacher education, you only need to read one book ever in your career. And it would ch- change it look, and it's this one. It's called The Magic Weaving Business by Sir John Jones. It's our core text for our skit that's aligned to our trust. It is the most beautiful book about teaching you will ever, ever read. And anytime you're feeling a bit flat or a bit strung out or a bit, oh, God, this is so difficult go back and read the magic weaving business and you'll come away feeling like you've had a spa day a glass of your favorite whatever it is and a big bag of chocolates <laughs> it's, like, it's like chicken soup for the soul for teachers that book but in terms of what you can do practically understand your knowledge of your subject Now, this is different from subject knowledge, Uh, and I talk about this a lot. Subject knowledge is pub quiz knowledge in what year was this battle or what happens in an act whatever of this play. Knowledge of your subject is understanding how your subject develops. So can you articulate exactly what your subject looks like in year seven and how it develops through to year 10? And if you are a secondary teacher, can you tell me how it will have developed at primary? How the primary links are going to link with what you're doing and vice versa if you're a key stage one teacher do you know what key stage two do in literacy do you know what key stage three do have you got that understanding of the subjects that you teach so do you know what the principles of your subject are so if you're a primary teacher how is history different from and similar to geography? what makes history history what links has it got to other subjects so really understanding how progression works in your subject how meaningful links are made within and across your subject. And all that happens from developing reading around your subject. So reading things from professional associations, reading things from specialist writers in, in your field. If you are a primary school teacher, just reading kids' books till they come out of your ears. If you're a secondary teacher, just reading around your subject. Once you've got knowledge of your subject, then you can align that with your understanding about how children learn. All the cognitive science stuff, all the research into lesson design, into how you might structure units of work to include retrieval practice, spaced practices, all those sorts of things. But the biggest thing that teachers need to know is that knowledge of the subjects that they teach, because that's your resource. That's, that's how you make those connections. That's how you build your questioning. That's how you differentiate the work for the children because you can mentally scroll through how your subject develops. I would say over the summer, read around your subject and then do a little bit of reading about how children learn or how people learn and align those two. Oh, the other books. So Magic Week in Business, The Science of Learning, 77 Studies That Every Teacher Needs to Know by Bradley Bush and Edward Watson and then where's the other one this one from the charter college the early career framework handbook that's got a little bit of everything in there and then sarah mullins book what they didn't teach me on my PGCE, which is compiled by sarah she's written a lot of it but in there are sector experts writing about their specific expertise so that's like a smorgasbord of expert voices so if you were going to buy four books they're the four i'd tell you to get magic weaving business Science of Learning, Early Career Framework Handbook and What They Didn't Teach Me on my PGCA. Oh, and join the Charter College, go onto their early career network page. It is unbelievably brilliant. And also, once you're a member of the Charter College, you get free access to all academic journals as well. So if you want to have expert insight into your area of area that you teach or about pedagogy and practice, You don't have to buy the journals and paywalls. You can just go on their website and get all of those. So they've got their own resources that they produce and all the academic journals you knock yourself out.
0: How much is that to be a member of the charter college?
1: It's free for student teachers and it's £1.88 a month.
0: Amazing. So obviously you've set up new ed and one of my tutor team attended the virtual CPD the other day and said it was absolutely fab. What was the thinking behind it
1: and how can people get involved? Oh, it's funny. I went to a brew ed. Uh, Ed Finch set up Brewed a few years ago, which is Saturday CPD. And I got asked to go and speak at one by Dr. Emma Kell. And I was speaking with my former co-head colleague about co-headship. And I went and I met all of these people and we had the best time. And I was kind of inducted into Saturday CPD, which initially I thought was the most horrendous thing ever. But actually it was brilliant. It was such fun. The people were amazing. I learned more in four or five hours than I'd learned in months and months of solo research or attending anything else and I came away and thought right I work with early career teachers and although they'd have got a lot out of being in that room I wanted to recreate a brewed just for early career teachers so I spoke to my bosses said can I do it and I spoke to Ed Finch and said would you mind if I birthed brewed's baby (laughs) and called it new ed and he was like no that's fine so set up the first one was last november and it was a face-to-face one obviously because it was pre-covid and then this this one was online and we've had over twelve thousand attendees now to new ed too which was completely blew my mind the strap line is joyful cpd for early career teachers because so many teachers leaving the profession because the narrative around workload well-being and just how public perception of teachers can just chip away at people until they just think right that's it so I wanted to kind of basically raise the status of it and say it's a brilliant job it's the best job in the world you know just come and do something fun we have one of the best jobs in the world we work with young people who are funny and interesting and never the same from day to day it's just brilliant. So I deliberately fill it with speakers who speak with absolute sparkle, fizz and energy about how great teaching is. And right across the sector, from Professor Sam Twiston from DfE, but Alison from got Alison from Charter College, right through to sort of secondary teachers, primary teachers, practising teachers, aspirant leaders, current school leaders. It's everybody saying, look, all aspects of our sector are great. And a lot of the people who've come to it, especially the November one, so it was the best, they'd ever had because it was just
0: fun it sounds amazing it sounds really good and as i say the member of my team who who did the new ed 2 stuff the other day she absolutely loved it and took so much away from it so yeah what do you think it will look like next time so if you do new ed 3 do you think it's going to get you're going to go back to face to face is it going to stay virtual what do you reckon
1: i love the online one it was brilliant it was great fun and it also obviously reduced the amount of traveling that people had to do and they could dip in and out they could come to the sessions that they really wanted to that were most relevant to them. And there wasn't that whole thing about not being at home on a Saturday. So I think there will now, going forward, be some form of digital element, whether that's the only one we do, whether we do a, a new ed face-to-face and a new ed online, I don't know. But we we kind of hold to what we're allowed to do with
0: So final question, which is very similar to a random interview question I once got asked. If you were a cake, what would you be and
1: why? I was a cake? Ah, oh, Milfoy. So fancy. No, multi-layered. <laughs> <laughs> Done lots and lots of different things at different stages of my career. And I'm definitely not fancy. <laughs>
0: i think i was just impressed with how easily it rolled off your tongue like i always look at it and i'm like how do you fit like milfoil like milfoy. Do, you
1: do you know why because i talk about Milfoy when i talk about um cognitive science about uh, layering knowledge one on top of the other so i do actually have a slide which says "You uh, teaching is a milfoy.
0: <laughs> i love it that's a brilliant
1: one thank you
0: Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. It's absolutely been amazing to talk to you. Sounds like you've got a lot to go back to now. It's snack time. The skip has arrived. High School Musical (sighs) 2 probably needs to be put on. So (laughs) I'll let you know. Never dull moment here at Turner Towers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much and, and have a fab rest of your day. Brilliant. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye bye. Thank you, Emma. And thank you to the teachers who submitted questions for the episode. A whole host of tips that can be implemented by early career and experienced teachers alike. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter and your chosen podcast platform. Leave us a review and share us far and wide. I'll be back soon for another slice of tea and educate.